From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling startups. This season, Accord CEO Ross Rich chats with the next generation of startup founders about the ups and downs of signing their first customers while building a repeatable, collaborative sales process. Gil, thanks for joining us on uh, our Founders Journey series at Accord. Really excited to have you on and to learn a bit more about um, how you founded Metadata. So I appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, to kick things off, as we always do, would love to hear a story that you're probably very familiar telling through new hires, investors, the world, etc. Would love to hear about your decision to start Metadata. What kind of led you to even the awesome things that you were doing before and, and doing this full time. No, it's the first time I'm telling this story. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm a software engineer in all of my bones. I, uh, I wrote software. That was how I started my career. Post my graduate school, I spent about eight years running marketing for a few B2B companies. And I learned that I have a great advantage being a, a techie and working with, you know, data and being a quant. We've been very successful for my career, particularly because B2B marketing is becoming a very technical, data-driven work. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, I guess it's called revenue marketing these days. And so it was helpful for me, but at some point I realized there's a much, even bigger opportunity than being a CMO is building an AI replica of the technical demand generations of the world. You know, I'm not alone, right? There's like Guillaume Caban, who you probably know. There's Adam Goyet, former VP at there's, uh, Jesse Rodas. There's a good amount of uh, Nimas Rari. There's a good amount of, uh, of them, Michael, Mike Smith. And so building a, an AI replica that helps a marketer have 100 execution was the impetus for Metadata. I resigned my last job at 2016 as a VP of marketing, and I went to this Bessemer Venture event Mm-hmm. Uh, with like 20 CMOs. And I remember talking about this concept of using data to laser target your marketing and then using experimentation as a means to an end to fine tune your execution. And everyone asked me so many questions and wanted me to work with them. So in the break, I just went to the break room and I went on LinkedIn and I changed it to founder stealth or I don't remember. I didn't have a company <laughs> name back then. And then I came back and said, well, you know, you can all be my customers, you know, because I'm a founder now. So that was uh, <laughs> that was how it went. Wow, that is really cool. So it sounds like you know what everyone tells everyone to do, which is first to get that market validation, and that kind of happened very spontaneously for you. It seems like. Yeah, I started as a consultant, so I I did some customer development before, but I didn't really know. I only worked as a marketer like three or four times, right? So I didn't really have statistical significance. As a consultant, I had more. I had a couple of dozens, and then those kind of meetings were giving me a lot of feedback. This particular was perfect. It was like Series A, Series B companies, very modern CMOs, very mm-hmm. knowledgeable. Yet what I brought to the table was new and novel, and they were interested, they were willing to pay. And so I knew there is something, you know, a seed, and enough for me to drop everything and say, okay, this is the moment of truth. Totally. Well, I think this is a great segue to the next question. And I think an area where a lot of people that are either thinking about starting your company or already have are running into issues, which is how do you translate this insight, this passion for what you're doing, an idea for a solution and customer base to your first five or 10 customers, right? There's a lot of work that goes in between there, especially if you're building technology. Curious to hear how you approached you know, winning and making successful that first group of users from that meeting uh, that you just described. 
That's a good one. And there are a million ways to do it. And I made, you know, 999 mistakes on the way. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend always to go <laughs> one by one the way, the way I did it. I think a few things that I that would say it worked for me well when I look, if I look back. One is to, when you think you have a concept, immediately share it. People sometimes think that an idea is everything or, or a very important idea. It's like, you know, a very small single digital percentage. The execution is where everything goes. And so you have an idea, test it immediately. Test it with your colleagues, former customers, former bosses, anyone that is relevant that you think you are going to end up charging from. Two, same group of people, those former customers, former colleagues, etc. they will be your first customers. So, you know, go to them and you yourself, you have to sell it. Like trying to build something and giving it to someone else to sell is something the technical founders sometimes do. I think it's a big mistake because mm-hmm. first of all, you don't get a chance to appreciate the job of selling and then figure out how to hire your help there. And two, you have to perfect your pitch. You have to fine tune into what you actually want to do. And so you learn a lot from it. I think the first thing customers 100% should be sold by the founder. Even if you have an SDR or a salesperson, I remember when Logan joined, I was hiring him as an SDR. But the very first pitch, I remember he came with a suit. Uh, I was like, wow, this guy's legit. He, he presented significantly better in the interview than I pitched the product. So mm-hmm. I knew this is great. I guess this is why salespeople are salespeople. <laughs> and um, yeah. with me in every call, but I still wanted to be there, you know, to talk about the vision, to see how he does it. We both kind of fed off each other. So I think that's that's number two, like really do the work yourself, do the call calls. I did call calls. It was great. Got hung up on the, it's really good, really good experience, I think, for founders. Three yeah. is, maybe it should have been number one, but it's number three here, lean startup methodology. I think building, and selling should go in tandem. Trying to build something for years and then coming to market, unless you're building something that is, you know, there are unique situations in which that makes sense. Vast majority of the time it doesn't. You mm-hmm. should build something that you're kind of embarrassed about and immediately try to sell it and see how people react. What do they like? What is the screen that they like? Where's the value? Where are the jaw drops? Where do they don't care and they yawn? And use that as feedback to building your product. And you should have a hypothesis that you're trying to prove. Mm-hmm. Can I sell it for 100, for 1,000? Do I sell it to an SMB, to a mid-market? And so that feedback loop, I think, is immensely important, especially when you're in, a, again, when, a, when you're in the usual situation of uh, usual product, usual markets versus something very, very unique, like if you're building a spaceship or something else. Then, that's yeah, different. totally. Well, to summarize that, I love all those points. The three, test early and often, don't do the classic, you know, hey, we're going to go out and build this for two years and then start testing with the market. You need to sell yourself. Even if you're not confident, you're probably going to do a better job than anyone else can. And you need to be the one that's iterating because you have the vision for what the product should be, what the market is, the users, et cetera, that even the best salesperson isn't going to be able to replicate, which doesn't mean you can't partner with someone. I think that's a great piece of advice early on. If you don't have the frameworks or structure or those kind of skills, you can have more of that visionary or technical co-founder partner with someone who can help them join them in calls and with uh, kind of the, the sales rigor. And then three, lean startup model, other than if you're building a spaceship. I think your point around having a clear, something that I think a lot of people miss that haven't been in sales before, is having a clear outcome or hypothesis in mind to either you know validate or not. I think a lot of people don't have those hard-hitting questions at the end. So when you buy this for whatever, can we do this? None of it matters. Nothing what anyone says matters unless you know it's a waste of time with that call unless you have that like really specific ask in mind for every call so i think that's a really good best practice that is missed a lot of the time 
So great advice there, Gil. So moving on, a lot of people talk about this product market fit. Would be curious to hear how, in your mind, for metadata, just one data point here, how did you define the when and how to get into product market fit? Did you have KPIs that said, okay, for this first market, we're going to define it by X number of customers or revenue or value from the product? Was it more of a general feeling? Like, how did you go about, yeah, getting to product market fit? And was there a moment you felt like you were there? There was a moment, but to answer your question, I had no idea. I did not know what product market fit was when I started Metadata. I didn't know mm -hmm. the term. I didn't know about product market fit, go-to-market fit, none of those things. You know, I, I used the Lean methodology to start building the MVP. Mm -hmm. I built an MVP. I met a bunch of people. I sold. I sold for 100 bucks at first. I went to one of my advisors and one of my first investors, Gary Nakamura. I told him, how do I do pricing? He's a really good, experienced salesperson. He's like, I don't know for your product. Just like double it every time you talk to someone. So it was like yep. 100, 200, 400, 800, 1600. I remember it went 12. I was shocked. So I thought, okay, there's product market fit. But it wasn't because I was selling to anyone. And many people were excited because it's mm. an exciting technology. It's an exciting product. I think I was excited. They needed help. Demand generation is like the biggest problem in the world for B2B. So it was great experience to sell and to try to do the feedback loop. But I didn't really necessarily understand what exactly, what's the 2080 that I'm selling? And mm -hmm. who am I selling to? What's the 2080 yes. that I'm selling to? Uh, that is, I think, that Venn diagram. Like, what are you selling? Who are you selling to? And is it repeatable? That is kind of how I'm thinking about product market fit. Mm -hmm. I would say that happened to us, you know, if I have to be harsh, two years ago. So, you know, we, we launched the product late 2018. Until then, we built, good, took feedback. We, we sold a lot, but we sold and learned, sold and learned, kept building, yeah. kept building. Two years ago, I think, is when we hit product market fit, when we realized, okay, now... We're starting to understand. It wasn't even like, you know, a completely repeatable process. But we started understanding, okay, these mid-market companies, this is the stack they have, this is the problem they have. This is really what they care about the most, which also influenced where our roadmap is going to go. It happened. When I started seeing customers paying us large sums, not at the first sale, but as a renewal, mm -hmm. I think when the first, when I got the first, I think when I asked for the first $100,000 contract and got it within like wow. you know, 30 seconds of asking it, that was an interesting moment for me. When it was with 300, that even happened for me even more because those moments were completely new for me. They were like, I'm just going to try it out and see what happens. From a and vision and that first you know, meeting coming up with this company to that, that's just a, such, I'm sure such an incredible, we're not there yet, but I'm sure that's an incredible feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's almost kind of a shocker, you know, like, are you really going to pay me 300 grand for this thing? Because the first person paid me a hundred dollars per month. Yeah. Now, of course, it's not the same product, but you know, in your mind, the vision was already there five years ago. So uh, that's what you were selling to them in your mind. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that was a moment. And I would say starting having a big moment for me, and I don't know if it's product market fit or a little bit afterwards, but when, it, when things really hit me in a really good way is when I started having very high caliber people join the company and mm -hmm. saying like, well, I'm going to put my, my career, I'm going to bet my career on this company, you know, and customers investing. We have 14 customers already invested. Those kind of signals make it, make it real for me. Totally. Well, I love your point around like, yes, you have this product and yes, you can sell it to a bunch of people. But I think what is commonly missed when people are thinking about product market fit and getting there is really narrowly defining the market. It's not just the product you're building and being able to sell it. It's for a particular market being able to do that. 
And I think a lot of people very widely or not at all define what that market is. And they're just like, oh, we can sell it. Might be for different use cases, might be for totally different types of companies. You don't really have that ability. I know you're saying you weren't there at the repeatable level. You don't have the ability to get to repeatable if it's for multiple markets at the same time. So that's been something that's been an interesting experience, you know, refining and refining and refining as you go to the market, which is kind of what you talked about at the start, right? With you need to be out there testing and having a million conversations. So it's a good good takeaway there. And, be, and being uh, able to yeah. say no, I think was was a big deal. Being able to say no to contracts, to customers, to logos that you want, you know, being able to say, I think it was UBM, like a big brand, saying like, we don't do this, or Comcast, like, we can't, this is not, we'll do like a small pilot to, to prove that this is not a good idea, but it's, yeah. it's, it's just not, this is not also who we build this for. So mm-hmm. being able to say no and, and stand behind it because of the long-term future and not be distracted, I think is, is a key. It's harder sometimes for founders who start their company or bootstrap it, but it's, it's also vital. Totally, totally. Yeah, you need to narrowly focus at the beginning to get that momentum. So yeah, we'd love to hear before we break, like where you're at today. So you've come from that meeting with Bessemer, you changed your LinkedIn, stealth company, you got those first 10 customers, you know, product market fit. Where are things today and, and what's the vision for the next few years here? You know, it reminds me when well, sometimes when I talk to investors, I talked to an investor uh, early this morning, they were asking about the exit strategy and I told them, you know, it's really dynamic. I know some people have kind of uh, preconceived answers, but I don't. It's changed over time. So mm-hmm. when I started in, in 16, my goal was to get to where we were some time ago because we had, you know, a large number of M&A opportunities and exits that I would have been happy with if in 16, you know, like when I just started. But as things change, and then as, as I have those monumental moments, oh, wow, like this person is joining. Oh, wow, this investor, this customer is paying us half a million. Okay, so maybe I'm, maybe we should keep going and, and keep building it. So yeah. I, I try to do two things in, in parallel. While I am very convicted and I'm excited to see that the market is turning our way and understanding the data and experimentation as a means to an end mm-hmm. is the way to, to, to run marketing operation and demand generation. Uh, every time there is an opportunity or something that that comes along, I look at it seriously. But as long as we keep growing, doubling, have fun, have personal and professional growth, and we keep innovating, then I think there is a good reason to keep keep going forward. Our goal is to really abstract the entire complexity from MarTech. There is, you know, I get to a place where we don't have to rely on a technical marketer that tomorrow, if the technical demand gen or VP of marketing leaves, you're like, shit, I don't know what to do now. Like all of my systems are, are going to collapse. Uh, we want to remove that dependency or, or decrease it significantly mm-hmm. as well as, as if you want to grow 5X, 10X, you don't have to hire 5X, 10X to build to that scale. So that's really where, where we want to take this. We want to be the, the kind of operating system for MarTech. We're starting to be it in the demand generation aspect of things, and it's working really well. There is, there is still a way to go, a big opportunity. Totally. Well, sounds like a lot of amazing momentum so far, Gil. So uh, congratulations. I know, obviously, you're saying that there's a long way to go, and you've had some big successes so far, but uh, just taking a moment to appreciate that. Um, I guess is good for everyone. So last question I have here is if you could go back to day one and give yourself a single piece of advice. So back in 2016, 2017, we're getting this up and running. What would you tell yourself? What I would do is the piece of advice I would give myself because we decided early on to take the VC route Mm -hmm. is to, to always reverse engineer, to kind of put the end 
and do reverse engineer from where you'd like to be and then mm -hmm. match the pattern. What I mean by that, as an example, if you're planning to raise a seed or you're planning to raise an A, you may think that the moment you start a company, you have a gun to your head and you're, you started a race. You didn't. Mm -hmm. every, comp every stage has a different KPI, has a different goal. Once you understand that, once you understand, okay, to get to seed, I maybe have to have an MVP and some, and some proof that there is demand and there's a market and there's a team. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, the A, like I have to get to, I don't know, two million era or what have you. You know, like uh, you, you start having those concepts uh, and patterns, then you understand how you should optimize your time versus run a hammock. And you just like run a hammock and try to do everything, like keep the era yes. growing, but also build the product, but also do marketing and also do this, this, this and that. No need. Try to focus on ideally three up to five things. Understand the pattern that the VCs are looking for, that the market is looking for, and really focus on that. Take the time to understand those things. That would be the advice that I'd give myself. That's great advice. And I think that's been something interesting for myself to think about as a first-time founder and haven't been in this world of like early stage company building. Even figuring out what those things are, I think, is sometimes challenging for new folks. So it's been great to, you know, chat with with mentors or people that are ahead of us. Even, you know, we had a conversation a few weeks ago. So I think that's really important for founders who haven't done this before is make sure you even understand what those milestones are because it isn't, you know, a commonly you know, shared piece of knowledge out there. That, that's great advice. Awesome. Well, uh, this was super fun to chat with you about this stuff. I've learned a lot. Hopefully everyone listening in now on the session is going to learn a ton. Anything else you want to leave the audience with before we wrap up? No, just, you know, I think you, you touched it. Advisors, mentors, uh, CEO and founder therapy groups, going, for, going to a bar and, and having drinks and talking about your experience is extremely important. Managing your psyche is pretty, is pretty important. So uh, I think you, you mentioned some of these things. So I think people should take that advice uh, to heart. Awesome. And uh, before we wrap up, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, Gil at metadata.io. I'm always happy to help a fellow founder. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. This was fun. Thank you, Ross. You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership, where we dive into building startups, signing customers, and scaling collaborative, repeatable sales processes. For more episodes like this, make sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.